and the record deal doesn't make make your make or break your career. It's it's part of the journey, and and if you don't enjoy the journey there, um, you're going to be disappointed, you know, because those aren't the end all. Record deal isn't the end all. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, this is Bree Noble, and thanks for listening to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, where we help you learn to make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business. And I am super excited today because not only do we have a great interview with Amy Walter from Tom Jackson Productions and Onstage Success, she's going to talk to you about some great tips on how to improve your live performances, but I'm also going to give away the free month of the Female Musician Academy to one of our lucky people that left us a review on iTunes. So here I'm going to read this review. And luckily, the review that I picked, totally random, by the way, was an amazing review. So I want to thank her so much for this review because it just helps me to know that people are listening. They're implementing what we're talking about on here. They're taking notes. They're, you know, they're really, really taking to heart what these guests are saying. And I try very hard to find some phenomenal people for you to hear on the show. So I'm glad that it is really getting to the people that need to hear it. So here's her review. This is from Kim Songs. Obviously, that is her iTunes name. So Kim, please contact me at brie at femusician.com or find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash music. And I will be sure and get you your free month of the Female Musician Academy. So here's what Kim says. Brie is fantastic. From her selection of people to interview to the questions that she asked to how she brings it homes for, home for us as independent artists makes this podcast my number one favorite. Listening and taking notes is the way that I am spending my every ounce of my free time. I have started to implement some of what I have learned and already I am seeing results. Thank you, Bree, and your fabulous team. Thank you, amazing people Bree is interviewing. You are all making the world a brighter place for gals like me. Oh my gosh, I am so honored by that review. Thank you so much, Kim. And you sound like the perfect person to be in the Female Musician Academy. And you're going to learn so much from all of our training in there. So please contact me at brie at femusician.com. And if you want to know more about the Academy, you can go to femalemusicianacademy.com. Check out some of the free videos that we have there and all the courses that we have involved in the Academy, as well as the community that we have built of female musicians that are trying to make a living with music. And now for my interview with Amy Walter. She's got such an amazing bio. I can't possibly cover everything. And we talk about a lot on the show, so I'm not going to go super deep into it because I don't want to give anything away. But Amy Walter is a trained live music producer for Tom Jackson's Onstage Success with a multi-layered musical background. 
Amy offers her years of personal experience on stage to singers and bands who won't just settle for good enough. She was the female lead singer in the Christian rock band Fighter and has sung in front of thousands over the years. The band was signed to a major label, Word Records. As a performance coach, some of her clients include the band Perry, Lecrae, Gloriana, The Stellas, Chad Brownlee, Francesca Battistelli, Sidewalk Prophets, and more. Now for my interview with Amy. So that's a little bit about Amy Walter. So Amy, is there anything that's not in your bio that you want to share with us that's a maybe a little more personal? Well, um, do you want something um, unusual, personal, or just run of the... Oh, un unusual moments. is always cool. <laughs> well, I'm a big Seinfeld fan. I know it's been off the air for years, but I just, I continually watch reruns and always have a Seinfeld application for anybody's, you know, any situation. Oh, <laughs> that reminds me of Seinfeld. So... It's a little manic. My husband's like, how can you continually keep watching? He loves the show, but he doesn't understand why I can keep watching the same episodes over and over. So that's kind of like my husband and I, we have a quote from the Simpsons for almost everything that oh. like every situation in life, I think. I know. And you just pray that someone around you gets it, you know, it's like, no, yeah, it doesn't like, look what strange. world are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so how did you get started in music? Well, from a very young age in the church I went to, uh, that we only sang a cappella. So you sang the hymn, you picked a part, uh, a harmony part uh, when we sang hymns, and you just kind of, it would seem grand in you, pretty much. Uh, my family sang a lot, you know, daddy sang bass, mama sang soprano, and my brother sang tenor, and I was an alto <laughs> So they would make us chorales and make it sing together. And so it was kind of an osmosis type of thing, I think. Um, yeah. So it was it was no choice. I mean, to this day, it's like it's hard for me to just sing the melody somewhere. If I hear if I hear a melody going on, I'll just jump in on a harmony part and or start whistling or something like that. Yeah, I'm like that too, for sure. I love harmony parts. Mm -hmm. And how how did you kind of translate that into wanting to do music as a career? Well, um, I guess I, I played uh, piano, took piano lessons. And then as soon as I quit lessons, I uh, really started to want to play. I went out and bought pop books and learned, you know, those kind of songs and loved it. And um isn't that funny that when you're taking lessons, you don't want to do it? Right. It's so true for me, too. I was like, I quit in sixth grade because I just thought I had too much homework. And then like a few years later, I was like, I think I want to write songs. And yeah. I just started playing. But you have that background anyway that you can actually do it. Right. And I had a ukulele and I wrote my first song on the ukulele, I think probably when I was nine or ten, something crazy like that. So. Yeah, I was started to write songs after high school. I had a really good writing uh, rhetoric teacher in high school. And it was one of those things that, you know, comes back years later and you go, wow, that was a that was probably the most valuable teacher slash class I ever had. And something that you actually used in life rather than, you know, geometry or, you know, whatever. Yeah. My husband's an English professor. And I always think, you know, people don't understand 
how important English is going to be to you later. If you yes. want, if you want to be a songwriter, if you want to be, you know, a lot of professional things, you need to be a good writer. Exactly. That mm -hmm. that applies to so much. I mean, especially now with everybody blogging and. Oh yeah. Um, drives you nuts when you see uh, people not using the right punctuation and stuff. And I mean, all especially just with texting, everybody abbreviates and stuff. So. Writing skills are valuable when you actually when it actually comes down to real writing and not just, you know, sound bites and texts and tweets and stuff. Definitely. So how did your band Fighter get started and what was the journey like between, you know, being un totally unknown and then eventually, you know, making a bunch of albums and playing to 10,000 people? Well, I had been in bands since high school. Uh, there was a previous band my husband and I were both in. He plays bass. And, um, after that ended, we were just kind of, uh, I don't know. We took a few years off and just didn't really think about it. And then we met up with a, another singer who also was a drummer and started talking and we were, we were passionate about, you know, our a message, which is, you know, we were, we were Christians and just, we, we were passionate about telling people what, what, you know, uh, about that, uh, that part of our lives, about our faith. And, um, we didn't, we were really wanted to, uh, stay in music and, and start another band. So the three of us sat down and started talking about it and got excited about it and looked for, uh, a guitar player and a keyboard player and got that going. We did it you know, we were because we were passionate about our message and our music, and um, we booked ourselves. Uh, most of the our career, we had no manager. Um, it was just we just loved it. Is that you know? I, maybe that's the difference on of why some people struggle because if they don't love it enough, you're not going to endure the the hard times with it. But we were we all had jobs. And so, you know, at least part-time jobs. So it made it to where we didn't have to make a living on our music. So we were able to be creative and write and do, do our thing. And, uh, we, we would enter, uh, co band competitions. And that probably was the one thing that, uh, propelled us the most and got us the most exposure and eventually led to a record deal. So, yeah, it was it was all about, and the record deal doesn't make make your make or break your career. It's it's part of the journey, and and if you don't enjoy the journey there, um, you're going to be disappointed, you know, because those aren't the end all. Record deal isn't the end all. Well, and especially in 2015, what year was this when you got your record deal? Yeah, that was uh, we were probably it was probably 90, 90 or ninety one. Our first okay. record came out in 91. So, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot different climate then, for sure. <laughs> but I'm guessing that having a label back then did help you get bigger events. Like you said, you know, when you ended your last performance yeah. together, you played for 10,000 people. No, it was 110,000 people. Oh, 100. Oh, my gosh. I wrote it down wrong. 110,000 people. Wow. That was at a, it was a festival in Brazil. And uh, they have they had brought over a couple us and another American band called Bride, and it was in a huge soccer stadium. And they had to 
they actually had to turn people away. They couldn't get everybody in the stadium. So yeah, that was uh, that was a good way to end the career right there, or end the band because we we played a few gigs after that, but that was pretty much the climax of of Fighter. Wow. So tell us about your solo career. Um, what was it like working with Prince's band on your album? That was fun. Uh, Morris Hayes was um, with New Power Generation uh, and that version of Prince's band. And he did um, he did a lot of programming and keyboard work on a lot of those songs and then brought in um, uh, the bass player and the drummer. Uh, to do some of the tracks, um, yeah, it was it that that was pretty cool because uh, I got to go to Paisley Park. Um, Morris said, "If when Prince calls any time of day or night, well, this is back then. He, he's probably not quite so. Um, how should I say, <laughs> dictatorial? Maybe now. Uh huh. I, I don't know. It was pretty much he owned you. So Morris." You know, like he got a call, he had to go fully dressed, you know, stage gear, go to Paisley Park uh, or having a rehearsal. So my producer and I, uh, he said, well, he said, I get you in, but you've got to you've got to just kind of be out of sight. So he got shuffled in there and we were kind of standing back in the shadows a bit. Uh, kind of to the side of the stage. And, and mind you, this is just rehearsal. And uh, they got they started playing this first song and I, he looks over uh, to write and made eye contact with us. And we're like, oh, crap, we're dead. <laughs> and sure enough, about a couple minutes later, somebody came and ushered us into the green room. So... Uh, and then after that, it was funny because like the guitar tech comes around and back and goes, anybody got a nail file? I said, I do. And <laughs> he went out and tried to fix this fret for Prince and couldn't do it. So then then rehearsals over. He, he canceled it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bizarre to be in that world. But I did walk away with a um, a pick from Prince's console with his logo on it. And Morris gave me this Tamaraka percussion piece that has his symbol, the, his uh, iconic symbol in it. So those are my little keepsakes. That's cool. Yeah. What, what a great experience to have. So between your band fighter and, and your solo career, it, you know, we have a lot of musicians on this show that are either just starting out or just, you know, really dealing with frustration in their career. Was there a time that you were super frustrated and you felt like maybe you wanted to quit music? And how did you get through that? You know, kind of give us a little a little story that, you know, you can might maybe um, help our listeners, you know, feel a little kinship and, and help them know that, you know, it's not going to be as frustrating like that forever. You just the the main message I would say is just you've got to really believe in what you're doing. And you've got to love it. There were some hard times, but overall, we were all in it together. We all took the hit together. We all, you know, it wasn't like we had to pay pay musicians that were just kind of just players. We were all invested in it equally. So, 
And we liked each other. We liked playing together. We liked creating together. So if you don't have that too, because we've seen that, we've seen bands that we've toured with some that didn't even like each other. So it's like, well, what's, what's the point of that? But um, we knew we were good. We knew we were a good band and we enjoyed playing together. So I do remember one night when I was backstage, uh, Sean, our other lead singer, was he and I shared lead vocals in the band. And he and I were, um, uh, or he was out on stage talking to the audience. And I was sitting backstage, this, you know, on this dirty step in the dark. And this feeling just came over me. It's like, I knew this is exactly where I'm supposed to be at this point in my life. And it was the most comforting affirmation that, that, that just came over me. It was, it was almost overwhelming. And I just thought I was totally at peace and that no matter what, I just know I'm in the right place at the right time doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So um, that was kind of my aha God moment there <laughs> backstage. That's really cool. I mean, it is so great. Like even if you're going through the hard times and the gigs that are annoying and, you know, and just the travel that wears on you to feel that you are in the right place yes. at the right time in your life is, can just gloss over all that. Yeah, it's exactly right. And that's why it, occasionally now I'll run, uh, run across an artist I literally had a girl say to me when we were doing these consultations at a workshop and uh, I just sat down and said, so, you know, why, you know, what do you want to do with this, with your music and, and what's, what's that look like for you? And she just kind of like shrugged and, and she just goes, well, I just want to be famous. Mm. <laughs> and my heart just broke. I thought, oh girl, don't even, yeah just quit now because if that's your goal, uh, you're not going to be able to sustain through, through rough times. I mean, if you want to be famous, just go be on a reality show. <laughs> if you want to do music, just do it because you love it. Oh, absolutely. That's so true. So did you have a mentor along the way that kind of helped guide you and give you some perspective? I can't really say that I did, but I did have we I did have a lot of support from just the people around me, family and friends who would, you know, just say, wow, the, your stuff is really good. And I like your voice and different things like that. And and just overall general affirmation. Um, actually, I did have you know, a couple of uh, pastors that I had were very encouraging and um, just, you know, I had a, a pretty good people around me overall. So, uh, well, I think it's different when you're in a band too, because yeah. if you do like each other, then you're supporting each other. It's yes. different from being a solo artist. Exactly. Exactly. And you I didn't feel like you're just all alone, you know? Right. Right. And I know I just talked to a girl the other day. She just feels, you know, she's intimidated. She, she moved to Nashville a year ago and was all fired up and had things rolling for her. And then in typical Nashville fashion, you know, all that excitement and at first kind of dies down and then you're left with, oh, the reality kind of hits and it gets tough. And then you got to decide, 
yeah, and well, then you see see all this talent around you, and it can it can kill you. It can snuff it out because you get intimidated by well, everybody's better than me, but you have to just keep believing in in yourself and what you're doing, and just tough it out and uh, keep going. Yeah, I think that that's probably true. When you're the new kid in town, mm-hmm. then people are interested. And then it's like once you've been there a year and you've kind of already played all the places that you got to play in Nashville, <laughs> Yeah, then it's like, okay, now what do I do? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good point. Well, I want to talk about your involvement in um, live performance coaching. And I first wanted to say a little bit about my experience with Tom Jackson Productions in that when I was putting together, you know, when I finally figured out that I needed to create a program and really think about my live performances as not just being a person up there with a keyboard and a mic, you know, actually creating something that was more of a, a program or a show, I got the Tom Jackson CD series and I listened through that whole thing and I, I totally transformed what I did from that. And I know there's so much value in that. And we were just having a conversation on our Facebook for the Female Musician Academy. And I didn't even bring up Tom Jackson. Someone else did and said that they'd been to one of his boot camps and gotten some live coaching. And I just talked to another friend who said they got he got some coaching for his artist from you as well as from Tom. And just the value of that one-on-one, just really looking at their specific um, you know, program and what they have to offer and how they can ramp that up a little bit. And so I want to, how did you get involved in live performance coaching and how did you get involved with Tom Jackson Productions? Well, Tom and I had a mutual friend. It was uh, the guy who eventually did start managing our band kind of toward the last couple years. And he had told Tom, Tom was looking to bring somebody else on to uh, pull up the slack. He was just so busy and just couldn't take every, every client. So, um, our friend Dave told Tom about me and said, I, she was always a good performer on stage. I think she'd be good at this. And, um, so I had some meetings with Tom and eventually kind of, he watched me critique a, a live, a live video and we were tracking everything that he had taught or was teaching really resonated with me. And I thought, yeah, that everything makes perfect sense from my experience. So, um, so yeah, that's how we got started 10 years ago. And, um, it's just been fantastic. I'm just, I'm just so passionate about this. Well, so what kind of skills do you teach them? I mean, obviously it's, it's a little more one-on-one when you're teaching someone about their particular show and their playlist, but what in general kind of skills do people not have when they come to you and not even realize they need to have that you can teach them? Right. So many artists don't realize that they need to think more about what the audience comes to shows for. They don't come just to hear songs. They come to be captured and engaged. They come to experience moments and they come in some cases to be changed. Now, they're not going to consciously be thinking these things, but that in reality um, is why they come. And so we teach artists, first of all, how to create moments in their show because moments are what's going to connect with people. 
not just songs. So by moments, I mean, are there, uh, you know, along with a, like a musical moment, is there a different moment? Is there a touching moment? Is there a fun moment? And help an artist create these moments. So we take their songs, we pull out what's what's in this song that can really create a moment. Maybe we'll hear this really cool solo that's maybe short on the record, but let's expand it. And it's it's it builds and builds to a place where if you pitted um, the guitar player and the uh, fiddle player, if you're if you know if it's a country band, do you know create a guitar fiddle trade off, and then visually make that exciting to where we've now created this cool musical thing and an audience connects with that. They don't just connect to, okay, let's play it like the record and it's only eight bars and okay, that was good, but it didn't make the hair on my arms raise. You know? Well, and they could always just listen to the record if they wanted that, right? Exactly. That's the way I think about it. Exactly. And that's what we say. It's like, a, and, and two, a record producer is going to produce your songs for radio we are like the producer producing your songs for a live audience. And there's a huge difference there because radio rules are uh, short intro, get right to the chorus, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, done. And because uh, they're producing it, you're driving down the road, you're listening to the song. That's, that's their mindset. And there, there's certain rules for that. Well, the rules are different for live because you don't have those restrictions. So we can play. So we first of all play with the arrangement a bit and see what's the best arrangement for live. And sometimes we'll extend a song and, you know, create a cool drum break or get the audience to sing along. And that creates kind of a fun moment uh, where, where they're involved. We look at those moments. Then after that, we say, OK, so what what should the song look like? All your songs don't sound the same. They all, but they're a lot of times they look the same because you're not, you're standing in the same place for the whole show. So we fit the visuals to what they're, what the audio is. In other words, if you had um, a really jamming song, that would dictate, okay, you need to, you know, lots of movement, interact with each other on stage, um, really, you know, go nuts. Well, on the ballad, you're not going to do that. Maybe on the ballad, you'll we'll put you on stools and maybe even break the song down to an acoustic version uh, that's maybe even different from the record. Um, and, you know, so visually, it changes with each song a little bit. Teaching the artist, you know, maybe on this song, you hold the mic and get rid of the stand. Maybe on this song, you're be, you are behind the mic stand, but use the mic stand as a tool um even with solo artists that are just singer songwriters we we help them create dynamics by picking to to strumming to muted strumming i mean changing changing the dynamics of the song with how the guitar is played um and even talking to the audience telling a story learning how to tell a story not just the old nightclub banter. Hey, how's everybody doing? Uh, you know, <laughs> we're going to slow it down now. You know, all the cliche crap that you just hear over and over. Or even even the name of this next song is 
Well, that doesn't tell me anything. Tell me where you were when you wrote it. Tell me what you were feeling. Where did the story come from? That's the stuff that turns the audience on and makes them the hair on their arms raise and makes them connect to you as a person. Because people, people go on your, they connect with your story, your emotions, your not just songs. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. And that is what I incorporated into my program Great, because mine was testimony based. And so I just ended up making, actually it ended up being almost as equal amount of story as it was song. Mm -hmm. And it just, it works so well for me, but it was like, I hadn't considered that. I had just thought, well, I'm a singer songwriter. I get up there, I sing my songs. Right. You know, I, but I never considered like, well, why would they care to listen to these songs? Like they're important to me, but why would they care? You know? Right. right. And people, uh, artists are starting to, 